0: The big time stuff that I wish I had The big time stuff that'll make you mad The big time stuff, big time stuff. I like the big time, big time stuff I like the big time stuff That I never had um, Welcome to today's Market Meditations with uh, Chris Hydell and Neil Modi where we feel it is our job and our duty to be better humans and hopefully that will lead to better investing at the same time um, some of that's just having fun. So uh, um, if you have questions or comments and you want to uh, ask us anything, please do send a note to chad at zoiccapital.com and he'll make sure we address it um, for the next episode. On today's podcast, we are going to have Vivian Ming, uh, famed computational neuroscientist. She describes herself I think it's like a Q-list celebrity. <laughs> she's probably one of the top uh, 10 data scientists literally in the United States or the world. Uh, it's hard to measure uh, such abstract things, but she's phenomenal. Um, and big governments and big companies alike try and hire her to solve major problems, and she typically is able to do that. Um, we're hoping to cover how to use AI for a better living right now. A little bit of the jobs market with her. She's done more recent research on that, and some of the insights she may have around COVID-19. We're also going to play a little of the predictions game, and we will end today with um, learning a little bit about Chris's reflections on the week in the market, and also um, any advice he may have for his current clients, which is somebody we really appreciate. (laughs) We wouldn't be here without you. Vivian, we were hoping to cover three easy topics with you, and, and we know you've got limited time now. <laughs> since we couldn't get this working, um, we kind of figured it'd be, you know, ten minutes or under a piece. But we wanted to start to get to think about the world differently. And I know when we talk to you, or when I talk to you, that happens. Um, so I'll give them all to you, and you can we can take them in whatever order you want to. Um, you're probably seeing insights into COVID nineteen that the rest of us are not, because you see insights the rest of the world doesn't. Um, we're curious about the jobs market and whether you've done any more of your recent research since you play our labor economist by night. Um, and, uh, you know, AI for better living right now. Um, just in, you know, if, if we could go through any one of those topics you want to start with, we'd love to yeah, hear what you no, have No, I'm happy
1: to uh, to get into any of them you are about to discover why people do not like having me uh, in radio interviews. I don't give short answers to anything, but. um, (laughs) We have the same affliction. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Um, Let me know whether I should not go blue or not at any given point, but I'm happy to dive in. Trust me, I've had a lot of people call me about COVID. and, uh, we actually wrote up a whole piece about it, um, both the economics of it and the, uh, the, the health side from a data perspective. You know,
0: to be okay. clear, I'm not okay. an
1: epidemiologist. Um, I study brains, but, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of work around that. Um, and we're doing a bunch of, uh, jobs work right now, um, cause, just because we're all stuck at home, uh, you know, it is the the beauty and the well, curse of what I do. Uh, what my team does is that we can do really? it from anywhere. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm happy to go through it, any and all.
0: Yeah, let's start Take with COVID nineteen then. Well, you know what yeah. what insights are you seeing that other people are not?
1: Well, I mean, I think we're all coming to certain realities. The thing that frustrated me the most, I mean, right from day one. Is seeing all of this discussion and uh, reporting with what for me was crucial missing variables, most particularly Mm -hmm. denominators. How Mm -hmm. many people have actually been exposed? Uh, What Mm -hmm. are the exposure rates? You know, you had all these differing stories, uh, reportings on fatality rates uh on increases in um uh you know exposures, infections, uh when in reality, boy, if you look at the correlation between the increase in COVID and the increase in text uh testing, uh they like they track each other almost perfectly. Um which isn't to say uh COVID isn't a serious threat. It isn't to say there aren't genuinely many people uh, sick with COVID, not, you know, what the testing is, is you've been exposed to the this novel coronavirus, but COVID being the disease, it is a serious threat, but you can't make good decisions if you don't actually understand what's going on with the data. And initially, you know, we were trapped in this world where people were making like global level decisions with terrible data. And of course you gotta do something. Um, but I, I was rather shocked. There's, my sister is a, uh, used to be a, a really uh, highly trained critical care nurse. And I think I somewhat frequently once said to her, um, not intending anything behind it, that, you know, nurses and doctors kind of largely do the same jobs, just doctors are there for the more specialized stuff. and nurses, you know, are just more plentiful, uh, and she said, no, we have completely different jobs. The doctors are there to cure you. The nurses are there to keep you alive through the cure. Um, mm. And my feeling about our initial response to COVID very quickly as it built up was it was all doctors and no nurses. Uh, not mm. enough oh, people interesting. Worth, very interesting worth thinking, yeah, how are we mm-hmm. going to how are we as a global, and I don't mean economy in a dollars and cents term, but as a global civilization, as a society, how are we going to come out the other end of this? Because one of the mm-hmm. things that our data shows many other people is if you are a young person right now, young adult, and you have lost work, uh, which you know puts you along with what is essentially now about 18 million other Americans. Um, and that's that is people applying for unemployment. How many people have just left the labor market? Well, Mm -hmm. those people, if this sustains, and many of them will not get rehired right away, if this sustains, what does research say about the last big moment of job loss, which was not the Great Recession, it was actually the 81-82 recession, um, hit the US and, and the UK really hard. People who lost their jobs during that period their mortality rate over the next 20 years increased by eight percentage points. Um, mm. Their, mm. Uh, their job prospects, their lifetime income, even 10, 20 years later, was substantially behind people uh, matched who went into the job market just before or just after. Uh, and even people in their middle age that were entering the labor market at that time, uh they end up affecting all sorts of things the chance of having kids of getting married of getting divorced so in other words this isn't just heartless dollars and cents versus saving everyone this is a serious disease on one side uh something we have to take seriously and some incredibly serious consequences for the cure on the other side and i think we need a lot more nurses saying Mm -hmm. Listen, the grown up problem here, not this idealized choose one or the other, open up the economist, the economy and let old people die or mm-hmm. shut it all down and uh, save all the old people at the cost of young people's jobs. Instead, how do we have the moral leadership to say this is a complex problem and I'm going to stand up and be counted uh, as saying here are the hard trade offs we need to make. Because we're going to be forced to make them no matter what. We might as well at least have the courage to make them with some intentionality. But, you know, mm. this, this is how I'm seeing this problem. And it started off with nothing but bad data. Uh, uh, and mm. needless to say, that really frustrated me. Yeah. So, go ahead, Chris.
2: Oh, I was going to say, Vivian, this is always a challenge in the social sciences because human beings are not as accommodating as nature in giving us good yeah. quality data. You know, they're quarrelsome and <laughs> and uh, reluctant and all the other things. And um, even in embodying those biases in, in the, the methods and the results and the interpretation of results is a challenge. Is there a way that um, AI and some of the big data can help us um, clean that so there up
1: is, a bit? Uh, and in fact, some of that work is taking place. But let's be clear, some of this are challenges between different established ways of collecting data even. Uh, mm-hmm. And there was a good point, well made here. Um, if you were um, putting out tests for the coronavirus, you're, you're you know, this, um, uh, you, you really wanna go out, you replicate the RNA, all the complicated testing behind this. Um, if you were doing it for health purposes, you test people that are sick. You confirm whether they have it so you know how to treat them. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you reserve, because they're not enough, you reserve all of the tests for that. But Mm -hmm. if you're doing it for policy purposes, what do we do about the shutdown? Uh, Do we track the spread, all these sorts of things? You need to go out and do sample testing. You need to pick people at random and sample whether they've actually been exposed. You could probably do it more intelligently if you use social graph analysis. I think there was a great paper that came out showing that um, even at an aggregated level, face, Facebook uh, connectivity data predicted spread mm-hmm. um, in, in many counties. So, uh, so we could probably be smarter than just random sampling. But we have this tension. Do we follow the Hippocratic Oath and test the people that are most at risk, or do we uh, take a more utilitarian approach? and test with the idea of how do we help the most people with the biggest decision. Uh, So even a lot of the issue that, you know, computational social science uh, inherits from traditional social science, which is that human data is messy and people are not simply dishonest, but introspection is messy and all of this sort of stuff. Uh, Here we also have, there are genuinely differing needs at play and those compete. And of course, Nobody wants to be the one that takes tests away from six people. Um, So again, another tension point. One of the interesting things I think that a lot of AI and big data has done has say, hey, are there other ways that we could be doing this? uh, That we could be thinking about, for example, how to implement social distancing or um, how to explore uh, testing itself. Uh, Even though not so much of it has panned out super well, there's actually been some interesting, genuine work uh, looking at turning check x rays into insights. Um, mm. Can we do mm. an x-ray from someone who has minor symptoms and predict whether they develop pneumonia, regardless of whether it's COVID or not? So UC San Diego just published a study, a controlled study, um, Not you don't see a lot of those in this moment. Uh, showing that they were actually able to do it, um, with some real degree of accuracy yeah. and, uh, uh, a bit uh, more I far-fetched, but I loved I it loved because it. I, I, it. I, I really, I really enjoyed, enjoyed uh, the doing some audio work myself back in my dissertation days, uh, is actually using microphones to listen to people breathing and try and do diagnostics. Um, and again, the mm. point is, mm-hmm. uh, not perfect tests. If you think AI, this is always my line, if you think AI is a magic wand that will just solve all your problems for you, you failed before you even started. But if you could think about how we could go through and analyze large sets of data, not for that to be the decision, but for that to influence decisions. Uh, All right, we don't truly know who has COVID because we haven't been able to deploy the tests, But Mm -hmm. we have used infrared cameras uh, in CCTV and uh, audio Mm -hmm. and breathing in doctor's offices and Mm -hmm. uh, Mm check x rays to at least Mm -hmm. get statistical insights into where's COVID look like it's expanding faster or slower. Mm -hmm. That is Mm -hmm. something AI and data science can truly do that is Mm -hmm. not a substitute for a doctor but would hugely improve our understanding of the policy side of this problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Vivian, I, 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 I even think, think that, that uh, 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 I don't know as a data scientist if you have any insight into this, but uh, the, random the random testing, depending on how it's done, it seems if we had implemented that or start to, we don't need to do that much to get a, um, the error rate down under two percent or so, probably. I mean,
1: yeah. It seems so you know, I'm. Massachusetts is implementing something, and. Uh, i mean, I'm, I should start with a a truly snooty, unnecessary comment, which is I'm not a data scientist. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an actual scientist. scientist. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so uh, yes, I'm a computational scientist, uh, but. Um, uh, although I have to say, my um, PhD alma mater Carnegie Mellon, their statistics department changed their not their name to uh, data science and statistics. Um, I think it's a lot of branding, but uh, apparently that's the most <laughs> thing now. I'm still very snooty about it, though, uh, partially because I don't think. Um, you know, life isn't a Kaggle competition. It isn't, hey, I, I don't know anything about the problem you're trying to solve, but give me the data set and I will fix it for you. That, that solves nothing. Um, so back to your actual question. Uh, you know, uh, one of the ways I, th- I think about the use of machine learning is, uh, to extend off my previous comment, it can't magically solve problems for you. But what it can do is if you already have a solution, it can transform the economics of that solution. You can take what is otherwise a very low bandwidth, often very expensive expert level decision and transform it into something you can essentially distribute for free through any phone that may not be the same quality as the expert, although in some domains it's even better. Um, And as long as you understand that, that quality is different, surely you can see value in it. So then I look at South Korea and Taiwan and Singapore that essentially did brute force contact tracing and um, and testing. And uh, even though, I mean, they had data to work with, particularly in, in Singapore, but they weren't leveraging machine learning. Uh, and we're a vastly bigger country than any of those. But imagine you could take that same approach to data, but instead of doing what many of them did, which is literally just put armies of people out there uh, to, to work night and day and trace everything down, you could do this uh, very efficiently by leveraging machine learning driven contact tracing, which is part of the system that Apple and Google, amazingly enough, are jointly trying to develop. Uh I'm thrilled that they, they they don't collaborate on anything, but they are collaborating on this Ooh, they and put even done away. work. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm sure that they're there somewhere. They're just waiting for the chance. Um Uh, you know, the sto- scorpion can't help but sting the frog. Uh I don't know who is the <laughs> yes. scorpion in this case, but um but uh, it's probably a bullfrog and it's going to eat the scorpion at the same time as the scorpion stings it nonetheless they're doing this right. and actually i've done contact tracing totally different domain we were looking at trying to explore how real time uh real life social graphs emerge and so you use these technologies that allow bluetooth phones to ping each other whenever people are close you know where they're You know when people are together, you know for how long. We even turn on microphones, we can hear snippets of them talking. It's really powerful. We've used it with kids, we've used it with adults uh, for totally different work. But here, obviously the idea is someone gets a diagnosis in whatever way. I mean, obviously you wanna wait till you get a real confirmation here, but someone gets a diagnosis. And if you, just like that, snap your fingers, you knew everyone they were in contact with. or even just a good percentage of those people, suddenly you could go back, you could aggressively test them. You wouldn't have to just spread those tests out in completely random ways. You could be very, very targeted. And another piece of research that was published recently that actually, well, it, it, it uh, touches on data and what we can do with it, actually looked at the spread of uh, disease in uh, places like West Africa and found that if you wanted to cut off things, say, just generically an intervention. For us, intervention right now is stay home. But of course, interventions could be vaccinations. They could be uh, hand washing, whatever an intervention is. If you could target individuals with an intervention, who should you target? Traditionally, we target health care givers, uh, sort of important people, teachers, these sorts, because it seems like they come in contact with a lot of people. But actually, this research found it was more effective just picking people at random. Uh, if you pick the exact same number of people, but you grabbed them at random out of a social network, um, so they were intentionally spread around throughout social networks, it actually slowed the spread of diseases, decreased mm-hmm. the r not better than targeting the supposedly high contact people. But I bet we could do better than that, because remember, I just mentioned that data from Facebook uh, was predictive of the spread of coronavirus. Well, mm-hmm. what if we could marry those two together and we could pair together that social network data and then go in and say, uh, listen, you know, uh, you're an amazing person. Everybody's your friend. But that also means you have the potential to be a super spreader. So we're going to pay you to enact a bunch of very specific um, interventions. Uh, and the better you do, the more we'll pay you. Uh, I I don't mean to make everything money, but you know, obviously you wanna get people to comply with these sorts of things. And uh, I bet we could do something like that and we'd see much uh, lower our knots, or at least comparable to what we're getting right now without shutting everything down. But again, big challenges. The health side uh, has dominated this. I've, I've said that it's all about the doctors, not about the nurses. But then the privacy side comes in. Uh, And where East Asia can go out and do the contract tracing here in the States, uh, by the way, they've done a decent job in Northern Europe as well. But here in the States, uh, in the UK, wow, they do not have the same power to to just wave a wand and say, listen, we need to know everyone you've been around. Um, So again, conflicting policy needs. Uh, and essentially the way we've defaulted is you just pick one need and you go all in on it. And that is not, um, actual moral leadership that that's a kind of cowardice.
2: Mm. Very fascinating. Yeah. Vivian. Thank you for that. For sure. was, yeah. yeah. Looking at the numbers from Massachusetts, where they believe that random testing of about. Um, 35,000 or so people would give them uh, good results. That's a population of 7 million. And they said that random testing, I'm not sure they would apply any of the thoughtfulness you've done, but um, it would give them an error rate of plus or minus 1.5%, they thought, in the testing. And if we extrapolated yeah. that out to the size of the U.S. and we did some even um, similar random testing, it suggests we'd only need... You know, two hundred and fifty thousand or so tests to get an idea. Um, It doesn't seem. It gives
1: you a sense, but you have to be willing to sort of own the idea that you are in control of uh, that process. Uh, You know, there's. I, I guess my read on this is that there's a lot of affiliation going on right here. I am part of the group that cares about people's lives. I am part of the group that cares about the economy. I am the part of the group that cares about uh, privacy, and not a lot of people coming in and saying, "Well, where will we all be uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? How do we get the best outcome for as many people as possible over that time?" And uh, you know, it feels like an unanswerable question, but it's not. Uh, it's, I mean, it's unanswerable from a crystal ball perspective, but uh, it just means when we make these decisions, as imperfect as we will be in making them and as uncertain as the, the data is, um, we can still say, I honestly believe here are the points of balance uh, against these interests and here's how we will move forward. And, and again, unfortunately, I'm not seeing a lot of that and I think you're right if, if we had the courage to sort of pull out some tests and really go out and sample. Uh, There's been some interesting results uh, showing that there's a real consistency in the few cases where we've done a lot of random sampling, um, finding about a 20% one in five exposure rate. And uh, of course, most of those people don't have substantial symptoms. I actually kind of suspect I've been uh exposed already um, yeah, You
0: travel it would it would make sense uh, yeah
1: i i flew to uh up to uh, mit um when everything was getting shut down um there was a shelter at home order here in the bay area uh boston had had its outbreak from biogen and so i flew up there and it was like some weird post-apocalyptic thing. The weird thing is, there were actually still a fair number of people at the airport. Um, uh, it was it was quiet, but it was. I thought I might be the only person on a plane, so I flew out there and and I did some work that I considered to be important uh, at the time, and and flew back and had some weird rashes, which is an uncommon, but it's a, a symptomology that's popped up uh, from a couple of people, and. Uh, and so I, I'm just suspicious, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to get tested because I'm fine. My family's fine. Uh, and plus, I, we all can do our jobs from home. So we're just not under pressure. Testing someone like me is purely a policy consideration um, rather than a medical one. What, and one this of the is things, not what we're doing. Well, no, one of the things that you said, some of it's about courage.
0: Um, I, I actually kind of don't think we'll call them the leaders in charge really have the grasp or mastery on um, looking at this the way you do right I think that's part of the issue is they they don't have the right people surrounding them to make good decisions I've got to figure at well, least a few of them would be though otherwise
1: i I think right now uh and i'm I'm not saying this purely to pick on Trump, but uh, i anyone listening to this can probably guess my. Uh, political But I am, We're okay with that. You be you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I can say bad things about him, and 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 that's my genuine feeling. But also, I do a lot of research around organizations, um, uh, understanding communities, and 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 the good and bad of it. Like, there's no. Again, just like everything else, everything is tension. A system that's not in tension is probably an unhealthy system. Uh, one of those tensions, for example, is between uh, sociologists call it tightness and looseness. Uh, tighter uh, societies have lower crime. Uh, uh, people, uh, they less inequality. Looser um, uh, societies have more innovation, uh, and you know those are all desirable things. And I don't know that there's a fundamental trade-off to them. But boy, at a societal level, in the data, there is a trade-off, and this is as true of countries uh, and regions as it is as companies. So, um, so we get to do all this fun research, and now wait, I'm going to wait. Look so tie it, the, tie it back to Trump. Right? You were about to try and tie this. Yeah, but that down. was that was yeah exactly what I was about to do, which is I looked uh, particularly at things around in COVID, and uh, we can draw on more than that, but particularly here. And we have interesting evidence trails, like if you've seen them, the Red Dawn emails, all of these um, CDC and other health specialists sending, so many of them inside the administration, sending emails back and forth to one another, clearly like in January, beside themselves about where this might go. So the idea that people inside the administration didn't know, well, I could believe Trump didn't know, but that's what I'm getting to is, uh, one of the things I go and talk to companies about is, hey, you want to build a truly healthy culture that can innovate, then people need to be able to speak truth to power. Uh, if people are too scared to say what they truly think, then it doesn't matter how creative they are. Uh, all they're going to try and do is guess what the leaders want to hear and tell it to them. Well, this is like definitionally what the Trump administration is. We have a whole bunch of people Even how little I think of the administration, these are still a lot of highly talented, uh, many of them, not all of them are smart, but enough of them are that someone should have been able to do something. But then you read those emails and you see no one wants to tell the truth because they're afraid of saying something that Trump will dislike and getting fired uh and the way i i talk about <laughs> that's this not a healthy cult- is, culture is it <laughs> that is not a healthy culture at all and let's be clear many well, I have many good- organizations work that way
0: yeah i
2: have good news we're not alone i guess not good news but it's uh it seems that the virus has, of course exposed fragility in all of these in these uh in the corporate bodies, these organizations you're talking about both china yeah. here brazil all of the very autocratic regimes are suffering um, Iran from the the um, the bottleneck of information flow that this creates yeah
1: and 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 I think it's it's interesting to note, for example, uh, a place that famously can be kind of autocratic on a certain level is Singapore, but they okay. were able to find a trade off between uh, being honest with themselves, uh, and laying down the law, if you will. Um, mm. and South Korea is a very, um, communalist, uh, society, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to individualist. Um, uh, and, and yet again, there was a, a recognition that, uh, they needed to be honest about what was going on. Uh, so, uh, it, what's mm-hmm. interesting is I think what, ties together, and I like you know, using the term autocratic, what ties together the states that showed the most fragility or, or continue to right now and those that have adapted the best uh, is um, probably a, a composition of um, uh, trust in institutions. So one thing is the societies that have done the best have the most institutional trust. Uh, and, and that seems to be a really solid um, indicator here. Uh, but the other is not simply the degree of centralized control, uh, but the degree to which um, that control is uh, essentially centered around uh, a bit of an ego. And I think there's a real mm. correlation here. These people rise to power because there is a lack of institutional trust. You combine uncertainty, such as economic uncertainty, over the last couple of decades with uh, a fracturing of social lines and uh, a a decrease in institutional trust. And that's exactly when people start to vote for uh, demagogues and autocrats. They just Mm -hmm. want someone to tell everyone else how it's going to be. Because, of course, you're right. and so here's the person that's going to lay it on the wall. And it doesn't mean if they're, matter if they're a horrible person that grabs people in inappropriate places um, or things that orange is the color that skin should be. Um, it's, it just, you know, it boils down to um, uh, right now, uh, it is my tribe that I care about. Uh, and it's just not possible. Uh, what, I don't know. I haven't seen evidence yet. Uh, either in research or in this instance, that uh, societies that are fractured along those lines can deal with a global problem like this. I mean, hell, you have Mm -hmm. Trump tweeting out right now that, uh, what was it, Virginians, Minnesotans and someone else uh, uh, telling them to um, resist their governments. That's his government. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But of course, he doesn't see it that way and the people Mm -hmm. that he's truly trying to signal against here don't see it that way they don't have trust in their local governments uh they strangely enough don't have probably don't have trust in the federal government somehow they magically see the person leading that government as separate from the institution that he leads and so Mm -hmm. now we've collapsed and we have no ability to deal with a systemic shock like this or an economic shock or any of it i mean the let's let's be clear on the economic side uh i i run what amounts to a philanthropy um so i fund it out of my own work but we operate like a small business and Mm -hmm. needless to say a lot of where that money came from was me traveling around the world giving talks so that's all gone um Mm -hmm. now i am in an astonishingly good position compared to the most majority of people in the world uh, i've made a commitment to my employees to to not lay anyone off, and we 're going to get through this, but along the way all right let 's look at uh the um, you know the the cares act and and all the money they set aside well they didn 't I, I think the statistic I just saw today was five percent of companies got fifty percent of that money uh Chris Steakhouse got ten million dollars in that funding. Yeah. Now you yeah. could argue that they're a restaurant and they need the whole point is let's <laughs> keep those those food service employees employed, but uh, let's also be blind. Yeah, they're not. They should be. A top yeah, they could get out there and float a bond or uh, you know take a loan. Um, they're not going to go bankrupt and disappear. There will be those steakhouses around. <laughs> Whereas the true local businesses, they don't have any other recourse, uh, without their support, they're gone. And, and then the capacity of a local community to support itself, to feed itself is gone. And that may sound small, but that's one of my biggest fears here is um, that so many of uh, small and medium-sized businesses simply cease to exist. You might think, uh, she sounds uh, pretty liberal or progressive here. She probably thinks. Uh, she's no, probably I think a UBI we probably person. agree with that. We actually both probably uh, agree with that. But, Yeah, but I, I'm I'm all in. We shouldn't just pump money into directly into people's <laughs> bank accounts. We should keep them employed so that we have that community capacity to do more than just feed ourselves. You know, be, have money in our accounts to go to the store, but we do work that is meaningful to us. And, and if you got nothing to do, I, I, I saw this, um, uh, I, I won't shame them. So I won't name them, but a big giant hotel chain complained about the bailout money. I don't even remember, but so we can, we can imagine, uh, who they are. I'm sure all of them feel the same, which is they got this big chunk of bailout specifically for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're complaining because it has to be spent on employees. And they're saying, that's, that's not our issue right now. Like there's no one staying in our hotels. We don't need the employees, we're, le- we're laying them all off or forlowing yeah, like them or something. And my response to that is, again, I'm a business leader. I, I understand what you're saying, but here's what I'm hearing as a researcher. You think so little of human capital that even if the federal government paid for your entire workforce to go out and do something, you can't think of anything for them to do? that is shocking to me um i'm you know invest pay them to go take classes pay them to go on coursera and learn how to do something i get Mm -hmm. it they maybe they won't do anything you know for your bottom line but suddenly you'll have better human capacity and if that means they actually leave you and go to a better job be proud of that what an amazing thing to take someone from folding sheets in at a hyatt to uh, having this as the moment. And we got a bunch of broken bridges that we're calling uh, the U.S. workforce. Mm-hmm. And we, we talk, we pay live service to actually fixing the real infrastructure of this country, and we should. How about we, make, we take this moment to make the same investment in the human capital infrastructure? People can't do anything else. They can learn. Everyone mm-hmm. can learn. We should pay them to do so.
0: Wow. Thank you, That's Vivian. Yeah. I
2: agree with that. There's no question that the Cares Act was um, rushed, as it was, and also uh, <laughs> as and haphazard as it would as the outcome would be assumed to be, it surely was. I mean, the disproportionate way that corporations are benefiting again at the expense of a real human capital is a uh, travesty. There's so many ways it could have been rewritten. It should have just been flipped. But uh, and of course the funny thing is
1: yeah that this will increase that distrust of institutions which mm-hmm. will then drive mm-hmm. people to support the very kind of fracturing which caused the policy to be so ineffective. Uh it it is uh, an invirtuous cycle. Uh that probably some yeah. exploit intentionally, but I think often Happens uh, just because society gets pointed in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is there any other insight? You know, just based on your research. Um, I know we could go a lot of different ways with you, Um, but is there any other interesting insight you're seeing that you think others aren't about the jobs market? You shared little parts of different things, but some of the other underlying uh, uh, things that you're seeing that will help us be more compassionate well, I, and better investors
1: at the same time? I, I, you, know, you have to be clear on, on so many things around uh, jobs, which is, uh, one is, as I was saying earlier, so many other life outcomes are tied into work. You take work away from people and everything else about their lives uh, gets worse. Uh, uh, yes, most people, most Americans, most people around the world do not want to be their jobs. I actually hope for something else, which is you get the job that you want to be, but um, you know, Mm. I may be an idealist, but I'm also a realist. That's not gonna happen tomorrow or anytime soon. Uh, So that's a different conversation, but uh, recognize so much of who people are and not just in soft ways, tangible ways, mortality rates, uh, social connectivity, uh, well-being, uh, again, one of my favorite metrics of all time, walking speed at age 65, like these things are tied to seemingly uh, ephemeral things like, for a few years, I was out of work uh, at just the wrong time. Uh, as one bit of research called it, uh, to agree, it's just about luck. If you enter the workforce at one time or another, or if you happen to have just at the wrong moment a certain economic exposure, uh, you know, a loan coming due or something, and suddenly bad luck, uh, now the rest of your life uh, has this extra weight on top of it. This uh, you're, You leave the rest of your life against a headwind. So understanding this is not a short-term thing. Uh, the consequences of loss of work for the, Apparently, uh, maybe tens of millions of people, certainly globally, even more, uh, will be devastating. Then also understand that it is not equally distributed. So, uh, people like me, uh, people highly paid, highly educated, tech industry, um, you know, we do work that, and we do it with a kind of background that allows us to really adapt to a circumstance like this yes ad revenue for facebook and google will decline and so probably facebook and google will do some belt tightening but largely people are still online they're still using their products uh they need to get connected and so if you had a job like that you're in pretty good shape um whereas if you uh, didn't have a college degree if you were working in particular kinds of industries that demand more on-site manufacturing uh, or energy, then it is very likely that this will be particularly devastating. And let's also point out one other thing, which is, yes, it is possible um, for young people to uh, experience COVID-19, and uh, there, are there are genuinely large meaningfully large populations, populations of the elderly that are economically exposed. But again, this again, has been researched before. The overwhelming sort uh, of uh, uh, threat profile here is largely disjoint. The health response is about saving lives of the elderly, the economic response is about saving the future lives of the young. So one thing is disproportionately helping the older wealthier population. Another thing is disproportionately helping or affecting um, the younger, less affluent population. So either way is as a sacrifice. It it is interesting that we're part of the challenge here is we're making a choice uh, in which disjoint groups, these two different populations, not exclusively, but largely these two different populations are choosing to make a sacrifice for one another. And um, I I think that's kind of fascinating from a a political perspective, from a sociological perspective. But it, it would be awkward if we go back to my doctor's analogy, if we're all about saving lives, because now we're asking this one group to take all of the sacrifice for a completely different group um and of course it was all about saving jobs then we go as some politicians that are definitely not of my stripe have called for then it flips all the way back around and they they've said that hey uh, i think grandma and grandpa would would be willing to to roll the dice in exchange for keeping their kids uh in the black all right so where do we find some recognition that we're in it together and and there's a balance because we cannot keep up Uh, the lockdown forever. Um, There doesn't matter what uh, an epidemiological model says is the optimal time to stop. We will have to stop at some point or at least change how it gets applied. And we need to make plans for that right now uh, rather than, all right, uh, the model says we stay like this. So we stay like this no matter what it does to the rest of the economy or The model of what kind of what i'm kind of expecting is the model says we say like this so we say like this until that day comes and then someone realizes oh shit what do we do next um and i bet a lot of people are thinking about what to do next but i don't think the decision makers are thinking what to do next I, i don't think they're preparing themselves for this decision so um Yeah, the the jobs thing is big, and it's complex, and it's more than just a story of money versus lives, because it's all lives in the end.
0: (laughs) I don't even know where to start to react and just to say, I really appreciate your perspective.
2: Yeah, that was beautifully stated. I agree. (laughs) Thanks. Um, I mean, (laughs) I mean,
1: well, I, I also I, you know, you said what should we think as, as investors. I don't uh as you well know, Neil, I don't personally directly invest in things, but I actually invest by uh yeah, donating by time. Research. like research. Uh, yeah time. exactly. I you invest um, by time. So uh I sit on a number of boards or I'm the chief science advisor mm-hmm. for groups because I believe in what they're trying to do and so I donate my and Silkus labs time to try and help them. And um And the the number one thing that I I tell a lot of groups is I I get it, I know what it's like staring at a runway and knowing that, God, we planned for six months and who the hell is going to be doing, uh, you know, series C uh, investing before summer. Uh, I guess one question is are vcs going to take their summer holiday or not cuz you uh, have you actually been out they, doing that they should right be fearful I hope so.
0: <laughs> they should yeah. be fearful about taking that vacation mm-hmm. um
1: mm-hmm. so let's stay in the game and actually keep keep looking uh at it because people are going to need it and they're not going to be able to wait for fall for your traditional uh pitch, uh cycle season. times yeah um Yeah, but at the same time, I think some genuine understanding here and I get the rock in a hard place. Like, what do your limited partners think about how you're deploying your dollars? But still, uh, uh, there is something also about preserving the capacity. Uh, You thought these were good companies in the first place. And I know there's a degree of I've seen some some VC firms say this. Hey, you know, you're going to basically our firms are all going to go under we're going to give a little pre-investment you know if you go under uh under our umbrella we'll stake you uh, 50k for your next startup uh i'm like I, but then you lose all that capacity uh i know most mm-hmm. startups fail they 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 do that's just the way it is but um it, essentially I, I think a lot of people have talked about hitting the sort of time stop button uh and and just let it run for a little while uh and um I don't know. I, I'm not quite certain what I'm calling for VCs to do, but I, I hope that they're investing with some heart and they have the courage to stand up to their limited partners and say, Listen, this is uh these were good bets and it's not their fault uh that this happened. Uh we don't think we should walk away from them and just let them go under because they've built capacity. And when this is done, we're gonna need these startups to do their job. In fact, when this is done, a lot of companies will be out of business. I mean, a huge number. Uh, and that capacity will be lost if we don't su- support, and that means dollars support uh, our existing portfolio, uh, they will be amongst those that disappear. If we do support them, then suddenly, God, I, I'm making up numbers here, but half of their market space will be cleared out. Isn't that the dream? Like. Uh, I hate to put it mm. so crassly, but, uh, you know, how many times have you thought, boy, we could have been successful if we could just have had enough room for people to to see mm. us and, and get attention. <laughs> right. um, well, uh, boy, no one would have ever wanted it to be this, but uh, it's an opportunity. Uh, and maybe you pick your battles. Like, I really believe in these three uh, founders and the teams that they put together uh, and I'm gonna live the line that I tell everyone, which is that my founders are my friends, and I'm 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 right there with them. So okay, then back them up and uh, give them the whether whatever it is the bridge loans um, or the uh, some an early uh, round just so that they can stay afloat because this is gonna run through spring, and then the economy will be devastated uh, probably for the rest of the year. Uh, and they got to get through that all. That's the runway you're looking at, no matter how good your team is. So, if you believe in them, stick with them through all that.
0: Thank you, Vivian. Uh, I I think we're probably way past your time, so we appreciate your time joining us today, Vivian.
1: Sure, uh, to give you a sense of what my time is, I need to... Oh, it is getting a little late. I've got, mm. most importantly, uh, 20 minutes to go pick up mochi muffins this is one of the few places in my neighborhood which is still open for you can just walk up and buy mochi muffins and my kids have become addicted even worse they have mochi butter donuts oh god um, wow yeah they're they're so good there's a reason they're still open um <laughs> uh, and then i got it essential that is a uh, uh, yeah. This this is clearly not about being alive. This is about life being worth living. Mochi butter what? donuts, uh, black sesame matcha. Uh, uh, I really like chocolate Next time I'm in Berkeley, we're gonna we're gonna go to this place. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. even do a plug. Third Culture uh, Bakery is the place. So if you ever want to order some mochi donuts. Uh, And Mochi Muffins, they're pretty awesome. Um, In Berkeley, California. But then I have to actually, yeah, in Berkeley, California. Um, And uh, the other thing is uh, I'm actually at my office right now with my family. Uh, I'm looking down from my second floor office at my wife, who's running her virtual meeting. Uh, My -hmm. daughter is immediately next door to me doing her art class. And my son is in the office below me doing his class we go into my office every day they put on their school uniforms we pretend like the world is not crazy and we all hop online and we do our jobs uh obviously we have the good fortune and privilege of being able to do that but uh the one quirk is within about 30 minutes i need to go zip past my daughter's school and pick up some papers uh so Mm. that she can do her homework over the weekend Um, (laughs) yeah well, we appreciate it very much. Go enjoy those muffins and
0: uh, uh, be safe when you go to school. Be safe and enjoy. Vivian,
2: it's been great. Very enlightening.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. It's always fun being a professional pompous jackass. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> we'll talk to you soon, Vivian. All right. All
0: right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye, Vivian. Chris, it's just the two of us. Um, I wonder if we try and make the episode a little shorter here and just spend a couple minutes on on you know the market this week with your clients and um you know your reflections on it and any messages you have for them
2: well the rebound rally continues but you know we haven't uh, begun to digest just the the first peak at Q1 earnings and um so we don't really have a vision of what the full effect of coronavirus is, and like in all aspects of our economy and our world, we're all flying through this fog. Um, the Chinese economy, though, were remarkably. The data came in with a negative GDP number for the first quarter. They're the most rapid, uh, and therefore their numbers are the most questionable. But I was really um, pleasantly shocked to see a negative sign in front of the number they reported. So. Um, maybe trying to gain some credibility with the, with the reporting. But it, of course, suggests that the, the fallout from this um, is great, as we all expect it to be. But the markets have rallied um, on the back of the stimulus and just really a sort of hopefulness, I think. And this is normally the way things go. So I would expect some more deterioration in the market to come. Um, I in the next say, 60
0: days, next 90 days? I mean, without.
2: Oh, I think sooner. I think sooner. sooner Yeah, we're seeing it overseas. You know, there's deterioration. And I think we have a um, with all the the high debt levels and the fear that's still in the market. That's under this veneer of uh, relief in the rally. It won't take much to stoke those fears again. And I think some of the abysmal, abysmal economic numbers and job losses that are still really to be digested will probably have a pronounced and negative effect on the market. So I just really um, think people should um, keep whatever protections or hedges they have or reduce exposure where they feel that they can't um, stomach uh, wild swings. Um, And, you know, uh, don't be brave, run away, live to fight another day. (laughs) I just mean be thoughtful. Um, for For my clients, for everyone who might be listening, um, you know, again, I still say we have to be gentle with ourselves because we're all carrying a lot of anxiety, stress, and tension, even consciously or unconsciously processing a lot of, um, this uncertainty. And, um, we've lived for so long with even a false certainty, you know, Tuesday usually looks like Monday, but in this environment, all of that disconnect, um, all of that disconnected. And, so we're really feeling it and carrying it even in our bodies and in our emotions and in our thoughts. So we've got to be gentle with ourselves and with others. We're all processing a lot.
0: <laughs> I feel like this is our, our heaviest episode in a long time. Um, even though we're talking about the craziness of COVID-19, it, it really is um, starting to infect every, well, maybe it already has, but maybe I'm able to see a little better. That's infected every part of our our world, not just the the markets or the people who are being stuck at home, but like every part of our world has been infected.
2: Well, you know, when we canceled canceled sports and other diversions, a lot of entertainment is taken away. I think we tend to fill that void with um, a lot of news and most of the news are counts of, you know, infected and the deceased and um, the serious cases, and um, it obscures a lot of the beauty that's in the world and the good things that are there. I mean, for me, being home with my family is very lovely, most of the time. (laughs) I was joking with you earlier, the dishes pile up rather quickly. I hadn't noticed that before. That's a new observation. There are more cobwebs in my house than I really thought existed. I thought we were doing a good job knocking those back but <laughs> Anyway. So, um but it but it is beautiful and it's spring and it's beautiful. The air is clean because of the uh, low traffic. That's a, a sort of unintended beauty to recognize. There's so much to see, but um again our minds are focusing on the unknown and also the, the fear of the unknown. So
0: Let's play anyway. the predictions game just for four predictions to end. Oh, in the worst
2: possible environment to make a prediction when it definitely doesn't look like Monday.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, percentage of startups that will fail. You set the number. I'll go over under um, based on COVID-19. So if there's 20,000 in the world, um want to register? So... Wait, uh, let's, let's frame this a little better.
2: So You're saying just in raw numbers or percentages?
0: In or? raw numbers, yeah. Raw, so percentages, yes. Raw numbers. But percentage. I guess... Uh, if there's 20,000 well, registered startups, we'll call it, um, because lots of people are working on something that they haven't shared, um, so what percentage will 20,000 registered startups. No, no, I don't these, know if there is. I actually haven't seen a number. But What's I, the rate of failure normally, Neil? just broadly so you like you know tech VCs you know ping it at you know one in ten of their their companies will survive and you figure something like you know one in uh, a thousand have a chance to get that round a so mm-hmm. you know the numbers um, in terms of you know who will have successes you know orders of magnitude um, in, in every round um, fall off
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: so this is then, and then you're suggesting we estimate like a rate of change
0: no of I'm suggesting so we we, we just we just say you know over the next six months here's the percentage of startups we expect to die so it's hard to know because we don't have the exact number of what, how many startups there were in worldwide in in 2019 uh, I'm sure somebody's tracking that somewhere Um but let's say it was a hundred thousand, and I'm sure it's many more than that. But let's say it was a hundred thousand. You know what? What percentage of them will die? And I'm actually gonna—you're gonna set the number, and I'm gonna go over/under. So this is where you get to be a bookmaker. I
2: get to be a bookmaker.
0: Yeah. Um, on a on a number we don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, isn't this great? We have no vision into in the future it's more cloudy than it
0: Listen, is. listen, it still benefits the Danny Barker Foundation, right? So th- yeah, okay. there is some good in this game for us. I would say
2: it's
0: 99%. Wow, okay. So I'm going to go under. Um I was going to guess like in the 80s, but you're going to say wow, 99%. That's Wow. Um the so one thing I will say about that is I do think there's going to be a lot of interesting opportunities emerging from all of it. Um, while, while we'll see the death of lots of restaurants, we'll see the rebirth uh, and a renaissance of lots better ones with lower cost basis as an example. Yeah.
2: No, I agree with this. I think there's going to be a dramatic reorganization of um, just dramatic reorganization of organization and of the way we work too. I think it's going to, change. New Orleans has been thriving in the restaurant industry with the curbside pickup. So, you know, it's a restaurant town and remarkably, so many restaurants have been able to survive on takeout. Now, people love to eat in restaurants and they love it in New Orleans. It's a very um, culinarily culinarily advanced advanced. (laughs) society, civilization, community. So uh, they have great, great support for the restaurants. But that's working and that'll probably be something that persists. Yeah, yeah,
0: I, I prefer was... that anyway, you know, I broke my foot last year, um, we didn't go out a ton, except on, I guess on vacation, we we're always out, right? When we went in December, um, mm-hmm. I, I realized I, I don't like going to most restaurants, the environment in my house is a lot better. <laughs> it's quiet. Mm-hmm. I can hear. Yeah, and I'm okay losing a little heat or having to reheat something a little bit once I get at home. Um, if the food's tasty enough to begin with. So yeah, I'm with you. Um, so th- this, this is, leads to another good prediction. Um, within the next five years, do you think we'll see, you know, Americans spend an average of one day a week working at home, or do you think it'll be higher? I'm going to say higher. it's going to be higher. Yeah, I think it's going to be higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll get to three days, but I do think we'll get to more than one.
2: Yes. I agree with that. I think there will be some balance. be a little push and pull, but ultimately I think we'll settle on some flexibility in the work schedule, work from home.
0: Well, so I also think, you know, Decentralization is going to proliferate in startups. I don't know how to take a bet on that, but you know, it happens now, but it's going to go, it's going to be even more common, right? Like, why do you need to leave your apartment or your house to, to move forward at all? Right. Um, you can Mm -hmm. do quite a bit. Mm -hmm.
2: I wonder if if those those trends, trends, you know, between this greater decentralization is also furthered by what Vivian was speaking of earlier, the distrust in any sort of institutions and central authority, you know, that's kind of grown that it's, um, cause we really are seeing this. she's not, uh, mistaken in any way about the, the, the progress that's being made against COVID is coming from, you know, all parts, the university systems, independent researchers, the, um, 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 The biotech industry—all of those are really the contributors, rather than the CDC or the WHO giving us direction, and um, central governments and even the, the state governments directing resources. It's been pretty remarkable.
0: So, um, I, I, and I'm curious—you know—I saw this this crazy headline. You must have seen it. Um, Barda gives 483 million to. Moderna for the COVID-19 vaccine.
2: Um, I know, why didn't they give it to Steve Reed? <laughs> they're just, uh, missing the boat.
0: Maybe our dear Steve didn't think big enough and should have applied for, as opposed to, you know, $60 million in grants, that could be helpful. Maybe he should have applied for $480 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he did
2: mention Moderna as being uh, sort of advanced in developing the RNA vaccine technology. Yep. I mean, this so, has been something people have been looking at since 2010. I hope this is the breakthrough that the RNA uh, model needed to get going.
0: Well, so the, the the question is, do you think we'll see uh, below or above a uh, 70% efficacy rate with uh, Moderna's, uh, we'll call it cure?
2: Uh, 70% effectiveness rate. Neil, I really have to bother have to beg out of this question I don't know.
0: No, you, you we're still benefiting the D- Danny Barker foundation. You you got to take this bet. Sorry, so, that's not the way this works.
2: So, I have to say that everyone else in the world who's listening, your prediction is equal to and probably most probably better than mine. I'll say 70% efficacy. Yes.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna say under. So okay. So are you going under or above? Because seventy was I, I said that. I'm right at seventy.
2: I don't know what else to
0: say. I'd say here. it'll be yeah. So you're saying below. You're 70 better now. off here you with your odds, above. but to go above or below, not exactly better. seventy. Yeah, seventy. 70 or, better. Okay, or above. Better. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm trying to help you out here. I am trying not to. Thank you. Don't be out corner. making a,
2: yeah a blind prediction. I can throw darts too. With
0: the <laughs> I, I heard um, this week from probably one of the best negotiators I know in the VC uh, space that he wouldn't look at startups that were, um, he wouldn't even bother to look. So this is before he starts negotiating that weren't 50% uh, reduced in price from four months ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just two weeks ago, I was telling you, I thought it was like 30%. Right. Um, and, right. And I'm hearing these different numbers. And, you know, this is a pretty sophisticated angel who's got more than uh, 50 companies in his startup, uh, sorry, in his portfolio. And, you know, he's a, a trader on Wall Street as well, um, or was still trades for his own personal account, um, you know, or an investor in real estate. So investing across lots of interesting asset classes, um, but I think he's probably um,
2: thinking out, you know, 12 to 18 months from now. and. Over through through this valley, Neil, companies are going to be starved for cash. He can probably by drawing a line in the sand or something more firm um achieve those kinds of terms, I think. Yeah,
0: companies you know, he that... he was he was saying that he thought he could buy um you know a quarter of companies more often uh, than he used to for a smaller amount of money. Um, which was interesting, right? Just to just to think about in general. I wonder it's if almost... that creates blind spots though, right? Because the companies that are
2: discounting themselves the most might attract his eye, but those might. For sure.
0: Yeah. Um. You've got to look at the entire model for sure. Yeah. But he, he he just said, Hey, right now, isn't the time for me to invest anyway. So for, for me to Mm -hmm. look, it's got to come from a really trusted source or it's got to come with that kind of price discount where I won't even Mm -hmm. think about it Mm -hmm. unless it's already Mm -hmm. in my portfolio. Mm Um. So I'm looking for a prediction we can try and make, and maybe you can set that prediction, Mike, and uh, as opposed to me setting this prediction. We're, I have no f- real feel even trying to look at all of the data where valuations are right now. It, it's definitely below 30%, but I don't know how bad it is. And I don't think we've seen the worst of the economy yet, clearly. Um, mm. mm-hmm. So <laughs> any, it, maybe this doesn't end up being a prediction. Any thoughts about, how to even think about where we are since none of the data is quick enough to reflect what's going on?
2: Yeah, the, everything has such a great lag now. And the quality of the data is even suspect, you know, that's the the fragile systems and the, the daisy chain of <laughs> shutdowns have probably limited our ability to even collect the data in a reasonable way.
0: Um, yeah, how much is the how much less is the dollar worth? Let's start with that. How much less? Yeah, in the last 6 weeks, how much has the dollar fallen in oh, value? the dollar's been strengthening
2: because it seems um compared to other currencies um as if it's the only game in town. But um the corollary to that is of course the price of the dollar in gold terms. So gold prices have risen, which really is essentially a falling dollar. Um Against hard assets, and traditionally gold hasn't really um a lot of industrial uses, so it's money first and foremost um but against other currencies, the australian dollar et cetera the you know canadian dollar the, the u s dollar has strengthened against the pound and the euro um, but I think that's also um very likely it's a temporary. Because to fund all of the stimulus that we've now authored, yeah, they're going to have to be a raft of new bond issuances and uh, tremendous flooding of the markets with dollars.
0: But, the Fed's you know, doing a good job of that everywhere they can, right? Being involved literally everywhere.
2: Yeah, but you know, people have predicted the death of the dollar for my whole investment career ever since Nixon, especially, took us off of the gold uh, Bretton Woods standard in August of uh, '71. So when that window closed. And the dollar and other currencies, resultingly, all became free-floating, um, and they would just trade against each other to find their value. Um, you know, people have been predicting the death of the dollar and other countries.
0: Uh, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just saying, how do you start to think about, like, you know, this is a you're a value investor. Um, yeah. Maybe this is a back to the conversation of how do you value a tomato? But do you value a tomato worth less today or worth more today than you did? T-
2: 6 weeks ago Well many many methods right I think the dollar will weaken if, if if I'm to make a prediction I again um you know I was just saying the the death of the dollar has yeah. been predicted that's an extreme but I do think that the the dollar will weaken just because of the flood of dollars we're about to unleash on the world but there's still also is the alternative argument there's not a there's really another not
0: a, yeah another uh, currency
2: that yeah, God seems to trust
0: in on the printing.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, has this sort of military backing and other other non-economic attributes that give the dollar its support, right?
0: All right. Well, I guess we'll end the predictions game with not as many predictions today. And we'll end the show as well. I think that's good. The big time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. stuff. I like the big big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had.